what our physical eyes and senses can comprehend, that you are working all things together for good, for the sake of your glory and for the sake of our joy. So God, we say yes and amen. Let it be so. Bring about your purposes in our life, even when those purposes involve a cross, even when those purposes involve pain. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you got your little handout, grab them. If you got your Bibles, grab them. Go somewhere. Maybe, uh, I don't know, First Timothy might be a good place to go. I think we'll maybe land there eventually. Um, we are talking about the church this morning, uh, or as it is more formally called sometimes, ecclesiology. Uh, I'm going to unpack that in a little bit. Uh, I am passionate about the church. Um, and yeah, being a pastor has a lot to do with that, but, you know, we are, the church is, the bride of Christ. And there can't be a distinction in our affection between Jesus and his bride. You know, and I've said this before, if you say you like me, but you want to talk trash about my wife, we're going to fight. It's a, and, you know, if I had to, or if we took the time this morning to go around, and if I was to ask everyone to choose one word that most accurately describes your relationship and not just positionally, but more like your experiential relationship with the church. I wonder if, and there are a lot of words that could be used there, but I, but I wonder if that one of the words that would maybe come up, or that we would all maybe nod our heads in agreement with, is that one of the words that describes our relationship with the church is this, complicated. Complicated, if we're honest, if we're honest. I know for me, some of the greatest, like, moments of my life have been in the church, have been in, in settings similar to this, where I'm with God's people, praising God, where I'm with sometimes just a small group of God's people in prayer or ministering to one another, speaking truth and love to one another, where we're praying for each other, for another brother or sister, where the church has prayed for me. In times that I've been lost and not known what to do, some of my best moments, favorite moments that I cherish are in the church. However, if I'm being honest, some of my most painful experiences that I've ever had have been in the church. Um, and I say that just not to, I in no way want to start this message out this morning or what we're going to talk about on it, some sort of a negative or cynical note. But I do want to start out on a note of honesty and transparency, um, but also hope, hope. Because I, I think, again, if, if we were honest, I think maybe many of you would say the same thing, that maybe your relationship with the church has been a bit complicated because there's been both good and bad, there's been both hurt, and there's also been healing um, that has come. But I want to, in the little bit of time that we have this morning, just remind us, again, of what God's Word says about us, who we are. That's how, we, that's how we overcome, that's how we go forward when there's been hurt um, that we've experienced in the church. Um, we go forward by coming back again to what God's word says is true and who he calls us to be. And again, the beauty of grace and of Christianity versus that of man-made religion, it's not do something so then you'll be something, it's 
you are something, now just act like it. Meaning that this morning, we don't have to strive to try to be the bride. We are the bride. Let's make ourselves ready. We don't have to try real hard to get into his body. We're in his body. Let's just walk it out. We don't have to earn or or, or perform to try to be his family. We're in his family. Let's just live like it. He is is our father. It's not performance-based acceptance. It's acceptance-based performance. Um, and, uh, and we, and this is like, we, if you know Jesus as our Savior, like we're, we're a part of this. And it's a, really, it's a really big deal. I do believe what I said earlier, um, as when, when I f- first came up here, is that even though we don't usually perceive it, I think that everything that God is doing in the world, everything, good, bad, and ugly, somehow under his sovereign hand and in his providence, he is working for the good of the church, his people. And so, again, big topic, <laughs> as, as most of these have been, and we're just spending one, one week on it, not that it doesn't deserve more than that, but this is what we're doing here over the summer and this doctrinal series, and we're going to finish up next week. Today's the church. Next week will be the eternal state, heaven and hell. But this morning, just kind of two categories as we work our way through this. In regards to the church, I just want to ask these two questions. Number one, what is it? What is it? And then secondly, what are we doing? What is it? I want to get really high, like 30, 40,000 foot view of just what it is, what the, even the term itself means. And then I want to bring it down on the ground with just what are we doing here at Mercy Hill? And, and not just what are we doing, but why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we doing what we're doing? How does it tie in with the big 30,000 foot view of what the Bible says is true about us? <coughs> so first of all, just what is it? What is it? What is the church? What, are, what is this thing we call the church? Well, the, the word, okay, the word that is most uh, commonly translated as church or the church in the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia, ekklesia, okay? Um, and that's where, of course, you get the term ecclesiology from when you're speaking about uh, the study of the church in the Bible. Um, but this word ekklesia, uh, it just, it most simply means, it means called out ones, called out ones, and then even more general than that, it just simply means assembly. It is used a few other places in the New, in the New Testament, but also in classical Greek, it could just, it was a secular word that would just mean assembly, okay? But specifically, when applied to the people of God, we are the called out ones of God, okay? The ecclesia, two parts, the first part, ek, the, uh, the little prefix there, and it just simply means um, uh, out of or away from, and then kaleo, the second part of the word, ecclesia, um, it just means to call, to call with a loud voice. And this is us, is that through the gospel, through the proclamation of the word, we have been called, kaleoed, out of ek, out of the world, out of darkness, out of sin, and into the kingdom of God, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. But here's what I want us to see, is that throughout history, this has always been what God is doing, that ever since sin entered the world, God is calling a people out of sin to come out, not just come out of something, but to be then brought into his presence and to worship him. So we're called out of, that's what it most literally means, to be brought into his presence to do what? To worship, to worship, okay? Now, um, Another little technical definition here, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology just says that the church is the community of saints, um, or the community of all true believers or all true saints throughout all time. Now, the church in the way that we think about it did not exist in the Old Testament. However, I just want to go do a, a big sweeping Bible overview, overview real quickly to show you that this has always been God's purpose, to call people out of sin, to be brought into his presence, and to worship him. All the way back in the very, very beginning, even in Genesis, you had, uh, as you're, there's, sin has come into the world, and there's just these um, genealogies that the writer of Genesis is, is kind of rattling off, but even in the midst of that, you'll remember there's this guy named Enoch, and it says that Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more, and God somehow caught him caught him up, and it's, it's just the first little kind of seed of a picture of God calling somebody out of sin, out of the world, to be with him. You have Noah. It says of Noah that he walked with God, 
And God called him out of the world and preserved him through the judgment within the ark. You have Abraham, who we looked at earlier in the year in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now, it's, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred uh, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he's calling Abraham out of his land where he'd grown up to go into a land of God's presence where God was going to show him. And he says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That again, God was calling him out of to bring him into. Um, Several hundred years later, the descendants of Abraham are in the land of Egypt. And this is what Troy touched on last week, the beginning of the story of the book of, the book of Exodus. If you guys didn't hear the message uh, from Troy Zink last week, go back and listen to it. It was really, really good. But several hundred years then after Abraham, they've now been in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. And you have uh, God doing the same thing, calling Moses to go into the land of Egypt and to command Pharaoh to let his people go that they may come out. And throughout um, Moses' interaction with Pharaoh, if you read that narrative, again and again, he'll say this little phrase. This is just one place. We're not, we don't have time to look at all of them. But in Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, God tells him, he says, then go and announce to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to tell you, let my people go so that they can worship me. Now some of your English translations might say, serve me so that they can serve me. Those, again, the Hebrew word, it, it, it can mean both and it usually does mean both, not just one, one or the other. Again, when we talk of worship, we usually think just in terms of singing, but worship is a lot more than that. We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, moment by moment of our lives, which is our spiritual act of worship, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12. But again, what I want you to see is God is calling them out of Egypt to come out into his presence to worship him. Is that has God has always been calling a people to Himself to worship Him, and again, this is there is no greater gift that God could give to His people than this gift of coming out to worship Him, because there's no greater being, there's no greater anything in all of the universe than God Himself. So, what would you rather delight in? Would you rather delight in money, in pleasure, in 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 sex, in like like what what do you want? There's nothing better than God Himself. And so we're called out to make much of him, to worship him, to enjoy him, to satisfy ourselves in him. And so this is an unbelievable gift of grace that God gives us. And so, again, throughout the Old Testament even, God is calling a people, an assembly, to himself. And then you come to the New Testament, and one of the first places that you really see the church mentioned is, of course, in the life of Jesus and from the mouth of Jesus, and in Matthew chapter 16, this kind of famous passage of, you know, where Jesus is asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And, you know, some say one thing and some say the other, but then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, and then here's the phrase I want you to get, Jesus, coming from the mouth of Jesus, he says, I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my assembly. The different men have tried to gather their own little assemblies, little ecclesias throughout history. God has always been gathering his ecclesia, his assembly, to himself. Jesus shows up. And he says, I am going to build my ecclesia, my church. And again, if we can just focus on each one of those words for just a second. First word there, again, in that little phrase, I will build my church, I. Jesus is the one doing the work. Just like he just said right before this to Peter, he goes, blessed are you, Simon, son of Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father. My father is the one that has done this. That if you are in Christ, it is because Christ has been revealed to you. The eyes of your heart have been opened. It has come from the Father. It is all a free, unmerited, sovereign grace. And Jesus is still doing the same thing today. He's opening blind hearts so that they can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ and see the beauty that Christ 
all the beauty that Christ is. He says, I will, not I might, or I'm thinking about, or if I get around to it, I will, definitively. The most powerful being in all the universe, Jesus Christ, the God-man, dead but now alive, risen from the dead. He declares, I will, what? Build my church. How did he build it? By dying. By laying down his life, he came and he purchased for himself, by his blood, a people, not just as it was in the Old Testament, just primarily from the nation of Israel, although there were, st- there were still others. You saw a glimmers, foreshadowing of this in the Old Testament, that it was going to be from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. But now in the New Testament, he has ransomed a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation for himself. And he did it by shedding his blood for them. He says, I will build, and again, my, not somebody else's. He says, it is my church. It's important that we acknowledge that this morning. That we are not our own, but that we were bought with a price. Amen? We belong to him. It is his church. Any church that does not acknowledge that it belongs to Christ is not a real church. When we speak of the church, we're speaking of the ecclesia, the called out ones, the assembly of Jesus Christ. Um, And then he gives this promise, along with that first promise of him definitively building his church. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And throughout history, it is not. The church is still standing. Um, with many flaws, many things that are still being refined, but the church has gone forward and it will continue to go forward. Uh, We're gonna win, guys. (laughs) Amen? But we're gonna win not because we in and of ourselves are winners, but because Jesus is the ultimate winner. He has conquered Satan, sin, and death. And through him, we are, we are more than conquerors. Again, quickly, throughout the New Testament, in 1 Peter, chapter 2, Peter, who was obviously one of the leaders in the early church in his epistle, he uses some of the same language that was specifically used in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel, of the ecclesia of God back then, and he applies it to people now scattered abroad throughout all of the ancient Roman Empire at that time. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen race. Again, he's quoting here from the Old Testament, originally applied to Israel. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies. This is what we do. We come out to worship, proclaim the excellencies of, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in the book of Revelation, at the end as we look forward, you still see this ecclesia, this assembly called out of the world to worship. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here's what I want you to get, is that one of the things, even in the Old Testament, like where nation would war against nation. You know, the Israelites, as you read the Old Testament narrative, they're, they're always fighting like the Amalekites or the Philistines or, you know, the Babylonians or the Assyrians or, these diff- or the Egyptians, di- different people um, that, that, uh, they are, that they're distinguished from. But here's the thing. The peoples in the Old Testament, and I, I would argue even still today, were not just distinguished by our ancestry. We're distinguished by our gods. In the Old Testament, this is, what, this is how Solomon's heart, if you know that story, where it eventually led astray. He, he married all these wives, which is you know, problematic in and of itself, but, but his wives stole his heart away by getting him to go after other gods. Is that 
we're distinguished not just by our ethnicity, but by who our God is. Not just where we come from, but who we worship. See, when, when, we, when we gather in here and when we worship on Sunday mornings, and again, worship is more than just singing, but it's one way that we do worship, where we come together and we sing, we are declaring who we belong to. That we belong to Jesus Christ. It's why we're singing to him. And, and the mark of the people of God is that God is with his people and that we spend time with him, that we've been brought out of to come into And it does not make any sense to say that we've been called out of the kingdom of darkness, but to not delight in coming together into his presence and to be around his people. And we are distinguished from the world by the way that we worship. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for hearts. I love this little picture. Looking for hearts that are turned upward, it says whose eyes are lifted upward. Have you ever been out in public somewhere, I don't know, a group of people, and you're kind of walking along, and you don't really see anything happening, but you see a bunch of people looking at something that's obviously happening? Do you know what I mean? Like you're walking, and you see all these people staring, and so then you yourself turn, turn over to, to stare and to look at where all their eyes are focused and what they're looking at. You understand? Like th- this is, I, that's a picture of what we're to be as the church is that our eyes are to continually be lifted upward, that other people would be walking along and be like, what are, what are you looking at? And we say, we're looking at Jesus. We're worshiping him. Our hearts are turned upwards towards him. Come join us. Come join us. This is one of the great uh, fallacies of, I, I think, kind of the modern seeker-sensitive movement that's happened within the church in our lifetime, is that if somehow... like like somehow if we passionately come together and worship Jesus with all our might, that it's going to like turn people off or not want to draw people in. That's not true. The more passionately we worship Jesus, the more passionately we proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, the more people are going to want to turn aside to see this Jesus that that has saved us. And that loves us. Um, again, going back to the, to the Old Testament story um, of the Exodus and God bringing those people out of it. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of just like he brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, how he pulls us out of um, the kingdom of darkness and the Pharaoh of sin, of Satan's sin and death that, that keeps us bound. And uh, have you guys ever heard the phrase worship wars before? The worship wars. Sometimes this is a little thing that's uh, early 2000s within the church. There was this, a lot of churches were going to, and some still do, and I'm not knocking it or anything, but they would have what they would call like a traditional service and then a contemporary service. Does anybody, anybody remember those days? Yeah, okay. Um, And so you had this thing in the church that people were describing as the worship wars. It's like, well, do we do traditional like more hymns, acapella, or do we do more contemporary music or whatever? Um, but l- let me tell you, the, the real worship wars um, were happening back there in the Exodus with God bringing his people out of Egypt. You see, remember how God brings them out? Before he finally brings them out, there's these 10 plagues. Remember that? Every one of those 10 plagues, and I don't have time to go into all of this, but just give you a couple examples. All of those 10 plagues, they directly corresponded to a false god of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had this god of the Nile. One of the first things Moses does is, you know, he sticks his staff in there and he turns the Nile to blood. God says, this, is, this isn't a real god. I'm, I'm the real god. Um, Later on, even, they, you know, they have this Egyptian god, Ra, the sun god. I believe it was the ninth plague. God, in Egypt, it's usually pretty sunny in Egypt. Amen? It's bright. Total darkness. And all the way through, up until the last and final, where Pharaoh himself was considered the god of all the other gods, 
And God says, if you do not acknowledge me, I will take your firstborn son, who was like the next God in line, you know, to come up through. And he does it. It's all, it's all about worship, is all I'm saying. Is that God has called a people to himself to worship him. There's a thousand other things I could say, but that's the one thing that I want you to get about who we are. We are called out to be brought into his presence and to worship him. That's the answer to the question, what is it? What is the church? What are we? Now I want to talk a little bit just about what are we doing, okay? If you've got this little handout, okay, let me grab, grab this deal here and uh, <laughs> let me begin to read some things and make some comments along the way. Let me start with our doctrinal statement up top in the bold. It says, we believe that the church is a spiritual organism made up of anyone who has been born again by the Spirit of God. We believe that the planting and continuance of the local church is clearly taught and defined in the New Testament scriptures. We believe that the church is the body of Christ on earth, and we therefore seek to obey what he commands as his hands and feet. We believe the church is the bride of Christ, and we therefore look forward to being physically united with him at his return, and also rejoice in the right standing with God that his shed blood has provided. We recognize the importance of regularly taking the Lord's Supper as a reminder of what he has accomplished for us in his death, as a calling to take up our cross, and as a hope that we will eat together with him in the kingdom. We recognize this, along with believers' baptism, as a means of testimony for the church, but that neither act is a means of salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's our formal doctrinal statement on the church. Now, on the back side, this little deal at the bottom I just want to unpack this. If you've seen this before, it's because it's on some different things. When we go through our partnership class, it's, we, we go through it then. Um, it's on those banners outside, if you've ever seen those, as you, as you walk in. And again, I just want to really bring it down onto the ground here. Again, understanding that who are we? We are the called out people of God who have been called out to be brought into his presence that we might, that we might worship him. One of the ways that we worship him, the primary way that we worship him, is by living in obedience to his will. Okay? Obedi- let me say this, you've heard me say this before, but let me, let me say it again clearly. Obedience is not legalism. Obedience is just obedience. We don't obey in order to gain favor with God. We obey because we have favor with God. We, it's, it is a, it's a grace-driven obedience, okay, in our lives. And that obedience is worship unto him. Now, what we call this little circly thing down here is our discipleship pathway, okay? Our discipleship pathway. Let me explain what we're trying to do here, why we use that language and all this. The, the primary mission of the church, yes, is to worship God, but then it's, okay, well, what does worship look like? It looks like being obedient to him. What does obedience look like? It looks like making disciples. That's what it looks like. So the last thing that Jesus says, uh, at least in the, in the book of Matthew, Luke also records it, um, Jesus touches on it again in Acts chapter 1, but literally the last words of the book of Matthew before Jesus ascends back up into heaven. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, so in light of this authority that I have, the risen Christ, all authority, I've conquered death, have all authority. In light of that authority, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey. That's what it means. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then he gives this beautiful promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the implication being in the context, the primary thing that he's with us on, although he's never going to leave us or forsake us, the thing that he's with us on is this mission to make disciples. Remember where he said earlier, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Guys, we can't lose in this. We cannot lose if we follow Jesus in what he commands. If the one with all authority in heaven and on earth has commanded us to do something, even though it might be difficult, and even though at times we're going to have to take up our cross and follow him, and even though at times we might look silly or we might look like we failed, we ultimately cannot fail. Is anybody else excited about that? No? Okay. Well, I am. Um, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. We, we make disciples, and Jesus is building his church. The church, corporate, is made up of individual disciples. As we do this, God is with us. 
And it's that act itself of making disciples, of being obedient, to teach them to obey all that he's commanded, it is worship to him. We've been called out to do this. Now, say that because, again, we call this little circle our discipleship pathway. Again, very practically, we believe that discipleship, um, if you had to use this metaphor, is not a menu, but it is a map. Say it the other way, discipleship is a map, not a menu. What do I mean by that? Um, Have you ever eaten a cheesecake factory? Cheesecake factory, anybody? Praise God for the cheesecake factory. I mean, for real, I'm just saying. Okay, but they've got a big menu. I've never nearly got everything on the menu. I just, I just like what I like. I don't, know, are you, I don't know if you're the person like you go to a restaurant and you want to try different things. I just, if I find my thing, I'm like, and by the way, it's fish tacos. Fish tacos. It's good stuff at Cheesecake Factory. Anyway, but Cheesecake Factory has a huge menu. Page after page of different categories and stuff. That's essentially what we've done in the church. Is we've listed all, we've got umpteen different, like the church broadly over the last 40 years especially, we'll say. It's, and it's, it's, it's promoted, if I can just be blunt, in my opinion, it's promoted this consumer mentality that like, well, the church should just offer everything that I want. I mean, I'm hungry for this. I want it. Give it to me. And so the church, yes, I'll, I'll start that class for you or we'll start this little demographic group for you. you know? um, again, not necessarily wrong in and of itself, but discipleship is not a menu. It's a map to help us to follow Jesus. And the map, the instruction is pretty clear. Where we're going is, where we're going is Christ-likeness. God's will for your life is for you to become like Jesus. You might be confused about what's going on, what's God's will for your life. Well, I can tell you one thing for sure, although the specifics, I'm, I'm not exactly sure right now, but like one thing's for sure, he wants to make you like Christ. And so he's gonna have you take up your cross and follow him, okay? And discipleship, in the end, again, if we can just go back to the Great Commission there for a second in Matthew 28, he says, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. One of the things that he commanded was to make disciples. And so we need to train people in a way that where we're discipling them in a way that they themselves can make disciples. Okay, so, so listen, listen to Paul, you know, like, was, did Jesus just say this or is this all over? Well, listen, in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He knows he's about to die. He says that later on in the letter. He knows the end is coming. And one of the last things that he says to Timothy at the beginning of chapter 2 is, <clears throat> he says to, Tim- to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, listen, who will be able to teach others also. So you got Paul, what you've heard from me, Timothy, teach to other men who are going to be able to teach others also. This is a concept that runs all through the Bible. Even back in creation, you see this this mandate to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. It's the same thing now spiritually in making disciples. That's essentially what Jesus is saying in the Great Commission. Be fruitful and multiply. Not just in having babies, although that's good too, but be fruitful and multiply in making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is what the church does. And so, the end goal of all that we're doing here at Mercy Hill is just simply to try to be obedient to this, is that we want you to become, come to a place of maturity where you can pour into someone else that helps them become mature in Christ so that they themselves can become mature and pour into someone else who in turn can pour into someone else. You, you see how it works? Is that, but, but when, when discipleship is viewed as a menu, it's just essentially, well, I'll try this, and we nibble a little bit, and I'll try this, and we nibble a little bit, and I'll try this, and I'll try this, and I'll, and I'll have the Snickers cheesecake, and I'll have the key lime pie cheesecake, and we just, those are good, by the way, but, um, and we just nibble. And so we have a church, large scale now, not pointing any fingers necessarily, but like, that I think we've all been a part of, myself included, um, in our lifetime in America, we have a church that's just sat around and nibbled for the last 40 years, and we've not reproduced. We've not made disciples who can make disciples. In this whole conversation, especially about in regards to obedience, well, we're never going to be perfect. Nobody's saying that. 
course we're not going to be perfect. Perfection is coming in glory. That's glorification. That's what it is. But while we will not be perfect, listen to me, we can be mature. I know that my boys will never be perfect because their dad is not perfect. Their mom is not perfect. But they can be mature. I, I, here, this is not a, please work with my, the metaphor of where I'm aiming with this, okay? I'm far, I'm far from a perfect parent, okay? Um, my wife will tell you that, my boys will tell you that. But I'm trying to raise them in such a way that, I don't want to be, well, I'll just say it, but I, I'm trying to raise them in such a way that they're not 35 years old living in my basement playing video games. Fair? Because that's not God's will for them. God's will, again, I don't know the specifics, maybe, and maybe, you know, maybe God calls some of them to singleness, I, I don't know, but generally speaking, God's will for them is to grow up, and to be mature, and to be self-sustaining, and to get a job, and to get a wife, and to have a family, and to have kids, and do the same thing. That's what the church is supposed to be. But what the church has primarily become is just a place where we come and graze and say, feed me. And it's not, and hear me, and when I, when I say this, I'll be really clear here, especially as a church leader, I, I, I don't think that it's primarily the people's fault. I think it's the fault of leadership within the church. And, um, and it's something we take very seriously. And again, I'm not saying that we're doing everything perfectly by any stretch, but I am saying this is what we're aiming for, is that if, so, excuse me, if someone came up to you today and said, hey, I would like for you to disciple me. I'd like for you to meet with me once a week in order to help me grow in Christ's likeness. Could you do that? Just be honest. I'm not trying to do a drive-by condemning here or anything, but like, could, could you do that? And if not, why not? Why not? Because while I understand you're never going to be perfect, I'm not perfect, none of us are, but we should be mature. And again, sometimes it's not an issue of, of not being on, on the pathway. Sometimes it's just an issue of time. You know, when a new baby's born, nobody expects it to feed itself, dress itself, clothe itself, you know, four-year-old, go get a job. No, that's not what we're... It's not what we're saying. So I understand that like, there, there's, there's context of just simply time as well too, and there's no substitute for time. But I'm saying this is where we want everybody to go, that we want to present everybody mature in Christ. It's the exact phrase that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter four as we do this. And so, man, I, bear, I haven't even touched on this discipleship pathway yet. Very quickly, let me, let me run through it. Um, What's the first thing that we're calling you to? Again, this is not going to be any sort of like mind-blowing stuff, okay? Um, I believe out on the, the thing out there, it says believe, belong, become, be strong. Here, we, we, I changed it to abide just because I think it's a little bit more accurate. We might have to eventually change those banners out there. But what's the, what's the central thing that we're calling you to do? We're just calling you to abide in Christ. This is why, again, I told you this is on the ground, just real basic stuff, okay? So if you're looking for something mind-blowing that you've never heard before, just lower your expectations quick. Um, what are we going to call you to do as a disciple? You got to get into the Bible for yourself. You know we open it here. We open it at small church. We open it at Bible studies and discipleship group. You got to open it for yourself. You got to be in the Word. Okay? You have to be in the Word for yourself. You have to be in prayer. Pray with God's people. Pray by yourself. This is what it means to abide. Remember back in, in the spring when we were in John chapter 15, I, I said that I, I think it's, it, it's important that we not just think of prayer and the Word as two separate things, but think of them as one thing. That it's fellowship. It's communion with God that we're going to call you to abide in Christ. That many times um, when we have issues in our life, if we'll just stop and go, well, am I abiding? A lot of times the answer is no. And so we have to stop and we have to abide and we need to ask for prayer from people and we need to be praying ourselves and be in the word, claiming the promises of God. We're gonna call you to do this. Secondly, to belong. To belong that, again, you've been called out to be brought into, but not just in isolation. I'll, if I can just say this about as point blank as I possibly can, it is a, it's going to be pretty strong, okay? But I'll, I'll arm wrestle you on this one. 
It is a demonic deception to think that, well, I've just got, I've got Jesus, and I've got my Bible, and I've got some sermons on YouTube, so I'm good to go now. I don't need the church. That is a demonic lie. You need the body of Christ, and the body of Christ needs you. Um, if you imagine, if I can switch the metaphor from a body to a car for just a second, is that if you think about the individual parts, or the, the, individual, the individuals, individual disciples, and the, the different gifts that they have, if you know, there's a spark, a spark plug, and a, and a starter, and a, you know, a piston in the engine, and I probably shouldn't have wondered into this metaphor because I'm not a great engine or car guy, but, but like those parts just scattered on the ground, what, what do they do? They have no meaning. They have no purpose. They, they only find purpose in being closely connected together. And when each part is functioning properly, does its part. In fact, I, the best way to say this is, if you'll flip over on this paper on the affirmations and denials, that first little phrase in the affirmations, is I, I love this phrase, it says, we affirm that the nature of Christian discipleship is congregational. And, and so many of us, and this, in fact, this is part of my story, is that I was discipled by some guys early on that really spoke into my life and were very, overall very, very, very helpful. Yet, it was more apart from the church than it really was a part of the church. And I was kind of, I was going to church services on Sunday mornings, and yet I was being discipled over here away from the church. And it wasn't all bad, but there was a disconnect. The nature of Christian discipleship is congregational. It is not okay to just say, well, I got Jesus and the ch- I don't like the church because I got hurt in the church and so uh, you know, I'm just gonna stay away from it. That is a demonic deception and a lie. Um, and the argument that the church has hurt me or the church, listen, I acknowledge that at the, at the, at the forefront of this message and I, I acknowledge that that's true and I'm not minimizing your pain. But if you're going to make the argument, well, the church has hurt me, welcome to the club. Right? Welcome to the club. Is that we've been hurt by the church, and because we're a part of the church, we've probably, it's probably fair to say we've also hurt some people. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we go forward, speaking the truth in love to one another, in humility and gentleness, brokenness, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us, we go forward all together in maturity to the honor uh, and glory of God. Um, I, am so, I am so out of time. What, time. what time did we start, Conrad? I know I went on my little rant there at the beginning. Just out of time. Um, let me touch on a couple. You guys still good? You still with me? Okay, I'll keep going. I'm going to go a little bit yet. Um, I'm just, I'm laughing at it right now because I'm nowhere near where I want to be at this point. Anyway, quickly, go to Acts chapter 2, or flip on the back of your paper, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Beautiful passage. Let me, let me read this. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I pray that this would happen in our day. I pray for this type of spiritual awakening. I'm not ashamed to pray that I pray for revival. I'm not ashamed to pray that I don't believe we are experiencing that. Not as it's being described here. We experience it in some measure. There are glimmers of it, but not the fullness of what we read here, and I want it. I believe that you do too. I want it badly. But a couple things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We have the apostles' teaching in the word of God. Okay? We can devote ourselves to the same thing to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to, ESV says, the fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. Okay? It, it means fellowship. It means partnership. This is why we call it partnership at Mercy Hill rather than membership. Um, it means, uh, it can also be translated comrade or partner. The root of that means, it just simply means common, to have in common. And the root of that just simply means with. Now, I want, they, they were devoted. They were intentionally committed to and steadfast in just being with each other. 
I, I think I've shared this with you before, but I th- it was, it was pre-COVID. I'm not sure if it was 2018 or 2019 that LifeWay Research did a big study and the average um, Christian in America, and, and the, the important nuance of this study is that it's not just people that like say they're Christian but aren't. Like the people that say, I love Jesus, I love the church, I'm all in. Average church attendance was 1.6 times a month. 1.6 times a month. Now why does that matter? I'm not saying that, because you might be thinking, well, he's the pastor, of course, he's going to say that. He just wants to, you know, get more attendance numbers on Sunday morning. I, I don't really care about that. I honestly don't. But it's hard to say that that's okay. It's hard to say that the Christian that says, I'm all in, and attends church 1.6 times a month on Sunday mornings, because if they're only attending Sunday mornings 1.6 times a month, I guarantee you, discipleship groups, small church you know, uh, E2 course, like for us, prayer meeting, I guarantee they're not coming to those things. And here's all I'm trying to get you to see. Again, not just trying to heap condemnation on, on all of us this morning. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Is that overall, there's always this, this like mystery that seems to come up. I don't understand why I can't grow. I don't understand why I don't see breakthrough. I don't understand why I don't see answer to prayer. I'm telling you, not all of it, and there are other factors. Hear me? There are other factors I acknowledge this. But I'm telling you, a big part of it is our commitment to simply be with the body of Christ. And so again, Christian growth, God is the one that ultimately gives it. And it is supernatural, meaning he does the work, we can't produce it, but at the same time, it's not a a mystery as to how. He's told us how clearly in his word. So if we will begin to walk in it, he begins to work. Because he's called us out of to bring us into his presence to worship him. What does worship look like? It looks like obedience. They devoted, they committed themselves to the koinonia, to the fellowship. Worship team, come on up, just because that'll make me stop. <coughs> and again, this is a weird, this is a weird, I just acknowledge that this is a weird sermon today, but I think it's, I also think it's good though too. Um, and it's not really a sermon, it's more me rambling all over um, and trying to give some practical things, but uh, Abide, belong, become. Again, we want you to be discipled. We want you to be trained. We got an E2 course coming up here um, in October, every Wednesday in October. Uh, I don't know if this is up on the website yet. If not, it will be soon, um, where you can sign up. Every Wednesday in October, we're going to be teaching um, a training course just on how to study the Bible for yourself. Sometimes people don't get into the Bible, not because they don't want to, but because they just don't know how to study it. Just, it's going to be some real practical things on how to study the Bible that you can, help, that you can grow in God's word and help teach others God's word. Um, abide, belong, become, and then be strong. Again, we want, you to be, we want you to be mature. We believe that in Christ, by God's grace, you can be mature in him. As we close, a couple things. Number one. If you're here this morning, and as I just touched on briefly at the beginning, if you have pain in your life, pain specifically from the church, I want to ask you, if you could this morning, by God's grace, just lay that down. If you could, just lay it down. I'm not minimizing your pain, but I'm also not going to maximize it. Because if Jesus Christ forgave us, we can forgive others. It's that simple. Secondly, I wonder what for you should your next step be? What does it look like for you to take another step in simply following Jesus? Disciple, learner, follower. The disciples literally followed him. He said, follow me. We're still doing the same thing. Follow Christ. What does that look like for you? We've had several people here over the last couple weeks that like they say, They've been saying, I just want to take another step in following Jesus, and so I want to get baptized. We're having a baptism service next Sunday. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you need to get involved in a small church. Maybe you need to um, uh, reach out to somebody and ask for prayer. Maybe you need to come to prayer meeting. 
What does it look like for you to take a next step? And lastly, let me just read this, and I'll be done. Revelation chapter 19. Just, again, being reminded of who we are, called out of the world to worship him, that we are the bride of Christ. John says in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And listen, and his bride, it's us, the church, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I've had several weddings over the last couple months that I've had the privilege of being able to perform. Never once in any of those weddings, even though there was a lot that went into it, a lot of preparation, and, and if I'm honest, not that the groom doesn't do anything, but primarily by the bride, in making herself ready, but never once did I see any of those brides get themselves all ready and all the prep that went into the ceremony and everything else. Never once did I hear them complain about it. Never once did they say, well, I just, uh, guess I gotta go buy this dress. <laughs> they did it with joy. Not to make their husband-to-be show up, but because he promised that he was going to show up. And that not to make the groom love them, but because he said, I do love you and I want to be with you. Folks, that's what we do. We obey as an act of worship to God. Not to make him love us, not to make him come get us, but because he does love us and he's coming back. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for being good to us. Um, Lord, I just pray that um, this morning you would just take all, the, all of my ramblings here, Lord, and what we looked at from your word, and I just pray that you would apply it to every heart in a way that would be honoring and glorifying to you. I do pray that as we stand one more time, as we just sing here, I, I pray that, Lord, if there's any hurt, if there's any pain, especially pain that's been experienced within the church or from other brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that your Holy Spirit would grant that gift of, of forgiveness and, and hope and healing uh, in each and every heart. I thank you, Jesus, that you love us. I thank you that you've called us to this glorious purpose of just simply being with you, being in your presence and worshiping you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys stand.